Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about the heavy-duty parts you buy and sell and keep you informed about what's happening in the industry. Welcome to Episode 89. Worldwide, remanufacturing is a $160 billion industry. A large portion of remanufacturing is done in the United States and Canada. And actually, in the United States, remanufacturing accounts for 180,000 jobs and produces $100 billion annually. It's big business. In this episode, we are going to be speaking to Vaughn Henson. Now, Vaughn is the Director of Business Development at CNH Industrial Reman. He also serves as the chair of the Remanufacturing Industries Council, also known as RIC. RIC is a strategic alliance of businesses and academic institutions that all work together to promote and support remanufacturing. Vaughn, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. So glad you're here. Jamie, it's it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And as you say, remanufacturing is a big part of our economy and certainly going forward. I think it's gaining momentum and it's one of my favorite topics. So uh, again, thanks for uh, for hosting and I'm looking forward to explaining it to others and and hopefully uh, getting Reman accepted even more and used even more. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's got so many benefits. So looking forward to the conversation. Well, and, and remanufacturing is always dear to my heart. That's how I started in heavy duty truck parts. I started uh, my first three days in the industry as an 18 year old kid was uh, working sandblasting some parts that we had taken some valves apart and they tried to break me and they said, well, if you can last three days on a sandblaster, maybe, maybe we'll keep you around. And uh, that turned into the first 10 years of my career with that company. So I'm, I'm sure glad I stuck it out. Well, some of the companies I've been with, I know we'll get into this. There's been people that have been sandblasting turbos for a lot longer than three days, uh, (laughs) 30 years, and they've certainly made a a career out of it. And it's interesting you say that, though, because remanufacturing is one of those industries that brings a lot of jobs to the table as well, in addition to some of the other benefits. But sometimes people don't really think about the long-term jobs that are created because, I mean, just quick summary is remand takes more labor than manufacturing, which may be a little intuitive, but you have to disassemble, you have to inspect, you have to clean. So there's a lot of value add throughout the process. It's offset, however, because you're starting with product or component that's already been manufactured and already had a life. So your material costs are much less, but the labor component is higher, which in today's world, I mean, jobs are always important, but can't think of a more important time when creating good, solid jobs throughout this, whether it's engineering, management, or entry level, they're all there. They're all sustainable, uh, and they're all largely based on local activities. So your three days in a sandblaster was, you know, has launched a career now in heavy-duty parts. So it's kind of an interesting theme that you personally have that. And like you mentioned, the number of jobs, there's literally 100,000 people plus 
that have had a similar experience in remanufacturing. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? But really, for, for the audience, there is a big difference between refurbishing something and remanufacturing. Can you talk to us a little bit about that difference? Yeah, and, and I'll give a fair report. So, I, I mean, I am the chairman of the Reman Industry Council, a group comprised of um, you know several large companies of heavy duty, but also uh, we have coffee remanufacturer with high-end restaurant equipment. We have printer cartridges. So it's not just the heavy-duty parts that we've talked about. It's a spectrum. The spectrum theme is one I apply to remanufacturing. So there's a lot of other activities you can do to get that part back on the road in the case of, of heavy-duty truck parts. Refurbishing, repairing, those all have value in itself. So for example, last weekend, I replaced the starter on an old Jeep that I have. I didn't replace the whole engine because I didn't need to. I just replaced the starter. So in a sense, I did use a reman starter though, by the way, but that sort of refurbished the, the Jeep a little bit. But the, the full process of remanufacturing claims to, and the definition requires that it brings that part back to new OE standards. So you can think of it as providing an entire new life for that part. Whereas refurbishing and repairing doesn't make that claim. That's an honest claim. They, they're not designed to make that claim. So in the case where you're just repairing, it's a solid value. It has the same form, fit, and function. Works just fine. In your podcast, heavy-duty trucks, you can think of a large uh, tractor, and that engine is going to need replacement every five, six, seven years, depending on the maintenance schedule. That's a lot more economical than replacing the whole unit. And remand, the promise of remand is to bring that engine back to as good or better. We'll talk about that more later, the, the or better part but it brings it at least back to the original OE standards that uh, were designed into that component in the first place. Yeah, a good example of that is uh, when we were remanufacturing pneumatic controls and, and air valves, you know, it was one thing to take it apart, clean it, and uh, put in an O-ring, right, to replace the, the seal that had deteriorated, and, and that's why the unit had failed. That's refurbishing. To remanufacture it was to ensure that the seal that we replaced was up to the OEM specifications, that the sleeve where the piston maybe was riding up and down inside of that brake valve was brought back to the exact OE specification as when it was new, as opposed to when we, if you just refurbished it, then maybe it had ovaled over time and it wasn't exactly the same spec, which then of course affects performance. So there's all these little differences when it comes to remanufacturing versus refurbishing. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of remanufacturing because it's been around maybe longer than people realize. Could you tell us a bit about the history and who are some of the early pioneers of, of the remanufacturing process? Yeah, it's, it's a cool question and it, it makes one think that the benefits that reman brings, right, in terms of reusing and, and the conserving energy and, and design, what's good today was probably good you know, even back in um, ancient times, if you will. So I was kind of thinking, you know, even, you know, think of uh, the Romans with their catapults. I can just imagine them disassembling and cleaning, repairing, maybe adding a new, you know, rope system and taking it to the next uh, siege project that they had going on. So I, so I suspect remanufacturing has been going on in some form um, since the beginning. But in our industrial uh, age, it's largely credited with starting uh, in Oklahoma City in uh, the 30s, where the Fred Jones automobile uh, dealership purposely set aside a section of their 
service center to refurbish. I don't think they called it remand back then, but to refurbish engines and components to sell back to end users or the public. So that's the first example I could find of where it was done in more of an industrial setting, a factory setting. Today, remand is typically done in a factory setting, right? With the same quality standards. And in our case, I'm, I'm also the sales director at uh, Case New Holland Remanufacturing. And for our uh, clean room, for example, where we remand fuel injectors, it's a level six clean room. I mean, the, the dust particles are taken down to sub-micron level. 0.5 micron, because today's common rail injectors require that. That's the only way you can get it back to the original OE standard, much like the, the valves and pumps you were talking about. So the only way to get it back to that standard is to do the investment and the process that the original equipment manufacturer put into it in the first place. But, but in that regard, uh, in, in the history then, you could certainly imagine, and, and it happened during World War II, the, the conservation of resources was so uh, acute that you saw more and more uh, purposeful built remanufacturing centers. One of our largest customers at my previous company, Springfield Remanufacturing, was Navistar. And they, they started their reman process in the, during World War II, like many others. And it was built born out of necessity. What started out of necessity really made sense to continue. And today we have it as a, an industry that's organized. We've got government liaisons, we've got industry, we've got research. So it's really coalesced into a, an industry of its own and continues to advance uh, and grow. That's really exciting to hear about the, the advancement and the growth. You know, one thing I was interested in, in our early discussions in preparation for our conversation today, we, we not only talked about the contribution in billions of dollars globally, and also the you know, 100,000 or 180,000 jobs that it creates in the U.S., but it also fits into the circular economy. And I think people really need to understand the impact it has there. And I think that's really important for us going forward. And maybe that's a driving force as to why remanufacturing will continue to grow as time goes on. But can you explain that circular economy effect? Yeah, I, I think it's become more and more important. As an aside, when, when I would tour people through our uh, core management center, especially younger, we'd have college kids come through and they would ask, what do you do? And it's it's kind of hard to explain reman in a quick pitch. So I would just explain that we help save the world. And that would kind of <laughs> tie in like, well, what do you mean? How do you save the world? You don't look like Superman. So what are you, what are you talking about? I don't know, Vaughn. I, I think you could pull off a. I think you could pull off a Clark Kent. I really do. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's a little little bit of a deal, but yeah. no. But but that would bring them in. I'd say we're keeping millions of tons of material out of landfills. Carbon footprint is much much lower. The amount of emissions you save. In fact, the researchers will tell you that remanufacturing takes eighty five percent less resources than new. Uh, you can certainly imagine that in case of metal and heavy part, you don't have to mine it out of the ground and smelt it and manufacture it. And you retain all that embedded value, right? Someone designed that engine. They spent a lot of time on it. Why not relife it and put it back together? I just heard a, a stat the other day. It takes 22 gallons of water to make one pound of plastic. And it really makes you scratch your head. So we're seeing, I mean, in today's Modern cabs, both in trucks and even farm equipment, you see a lot more plastic components. Every time you just throw one away, it's like throwing 22 gallons of water down the drain, right? And I think we've become more and more conscious about that. Not just the younger generation, but even, even myself and older, we realize, hey, there's some finite resources. Let's be smart about it. So 
when I think of uh, the circular economy, I mean, I think of sustainability, right? Just that obviously the model is to continue and, and it repeats and it keeps going. And in fact, in the case of, uh, you know, large class, uh, class seven or eight trucks, those engines can be remanufactured four or five, six times, really until the block fails tremendously. And then you can still salvage some parts out of it and, and start it again. So I think of circular or sustainability when I think of circular economy. And one thing that uh, I would like to point out that happened, you know, this year, and this will date the video a little bit. I mean, we are still during uh, COVID, but at the beginning of it, there were a lot of supplies and parts shortages not coming from some of our export suppliers. With remanufacturing, there's a bit of a shield there in that most of the time, not always, but most of the time, a lot of that material coming back, the used parts, the core, as we call it, is coming back from the local economy. Not necessarily, I mean, I'm here in Springfield, Missouri. It's not coming from Springfield, but it's coming from the U.S. It's coming from Canada. Typically doesn't have to be imported. So it's, it's I, I guess it had a little bit of advantage that you're using local material, you're infusing local jobs, you're saving 85% of emissions. All that to me speaks to um, circular economy and sustainability. It's time for us to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I just wanted to take a brief moment to let you know that I've been working with forward-thinking, heavy-duty companies as a business consultant, creating great content, helping sales use digital tools more effectively, and developing business growth strategies are the most common projects that I'm involved in. If you would like to work with me, go to heavydutypartsreport.com slash consultant. That's heavydutypartsreport.com slash consultant to learn more. I also work as a brand ambassador for great brands like Diesel Parts. Diesel Parts is a aftermarket parts cross-reference and lookup tool that makes it easier to identify parts than ever before. Go to parts.diesellaptops.com to create your free account. That's parts.diesellaptops.com. All right, let's get back to the interview. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Vaughn Henson, the Director of Business Development for CNH Industrial Remam. He also serves as the chair of the Remanufacturing Industries Council, also known as RIC. Vaughn, tell me about the Reman Industries Council. How did it start? Who are the members? And, and really, what's the mission behind the council? So the council is going on its third decade. It was started back in the early 90s, really an education consortium and industry came together. In fact, one of the founding members is Dr. Nabil Nasser who you'll see in a lot of remanufacturing discussions. He, he heads up the Golisano Institute of Sustainability. That's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, that's part of the Rochester Institute uh, of Technology. And there's, there's government funding around that as well. And it really began to coalesce as, a, as an important industry council trade group, if you will. And there's been a lot of important work over the decades. And our group has grown now. We're around 45 members. And they will include, you know, companies like Caterpillar, Case New Holland, John Deere, Cummins, GE, Springfield Remanufacturing, and many, many, many others across. I think we're in nine of the 12 remanufacturing segments uh, that we've identified. So it's a broad council, if you will. And a lot of those companies compete day to day in the market, but we realize that the benefits and, and advocating for remanufacturing is so important. It's good to come together and have those discussions. And for example, one you ask about the mission that 
uh, I always describe the mission in, in a, a simple phrase to help remember is, is ACE, which is advocate, collaborate, and educate for remanufacturing. And we do a lot of things around that uh, tie-in. We have a, an annual remand day. I think we can talk more about that later. We give all kinds of webinars. Back in the old days, we would actually come together and have a physical conference, in fact, have tours and and a chance to connect. We do that virtually now and, and certainly hoping to do that. Those days will return. They will. We, they have to. <laughs> I'm such a social person. I, I miss it. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> One of the things we did starting in 2014 and actually released it in 2017, and we're actually preparing for the five-year renewal now, was to develop the accepted ANSI standard for remanufacturing. So it, it's, you know, remanufacturing is one of those that, you know, w- when you see it, you, you know it, but to get someone to describe it, you're going to get different definitions. And I think there were something like 28 or 29 sort of variants of describing remanufacturing because it's not a legally described process. So companies that were skirting quality could literally bring a part in, clean it, repaint it, spray it, maybe do a few rudimentary, put it out there. That's not remanufacturing. So the definition is to take it down and and disassemble it to the lowest, smallest part, clean each part, inspect each part. They typically lose their identity. They're brought back together after they've been cleaned and tested and then are reassembled. And really from that point on, it's it's manufacturing. Uh, But we wanted to make sure we got on the same page. So developing that ANSI standard was a big part of advocating uh, and collaborating for reman and and, um, that's what uh, RIC has, has been about and uh, will continue to be about. So it, that's connected to the American National Standard for Remanufacturing, then that's how it came into existence, was working to bring it to that standard? Yeah, the, the RIC group itself is the one who brought this coalition together. We brought, okay. I believe it was around 35 uh, individuals from different companies not only remanufacturers, but users of remanufacturers, and then sort of general industry consultants. It was a broad coalition, and it took, like I said, it started in 2014 and was approved in 2017. So that in and of itself is a rigorous process that when ANSI puts their stamp on it, they've guaranteed and audited the process that, yes, this indeed is a, a broad consensus body that came together to define remanufacturing. So to go from 28 or 29 definitions to one, there's a lot of consensus building, discussion, and understanding put into that. And by the way, that, that standard is uh, available to view and download. It's, it's at our RIC, uh, remandcouncil.org website. And anyone can pull that down and look at it and compare it to their operations and uh, see if they are truly uh, remanufactured. That brings to mind when I was remanufacturing, we put a big push on to become like ISO 9002 certified because at that time in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was kind of what was available to kind of show if you got that stamp, it kind of showed that you had standards, that uh, you were were working towards some sort of standard that could be applied across many different companies. But really, that's all that was available. So now that this standard is in place... And you've reduced it down from all those definitions to one. How is that verified so that when a remanufacturing company sells their products, they can actually say, I have met this standard and it's been verified? So there's, there's a couple different avenues. One is a self-certification process. 
you got to keep in mind with with a lot of our members, especially the the large ones like my company CNH and, and others. We too are engaged in multiple quality processes that are already in place that you would expect to see at any manufacturing facility. So to look at the remand standard and see that we're doing it, we can self audit and understand that yes, we're we're there. We're doing these steps. Um, I mentioned earlier, Dr. Nasser and his, his team at. Uh, the Rochester Institute of Technology have also developed kind of an audit checklist and they would be okay. available to uh, to help bring certification to that. Or you could use your own, uh, the auditors that you use for ISO, you could literally hand them the standard and say, hey, come in and make sure we're doing these steps. There might be a little bit of education involved there if, they, if they're not familiar, but the standard does provide flexibility. That's one thing that was heavily discussed is do we require an audit? And most of the companies had already engaged so many quality processes that we didn't want to require it. But to really be held to the higher standard, uh, they, they've got options to to ensure that they're doing the standard. Well, and it makes sense because you're you're covering so many different industries. Uh, remanufacturing, as you mentioned, is so broad. It's not just truck parts. It's not just off-highway equipment. It's everything. There's so many applications for it. So I understand why you would need to maintain that flexibility. So what is the future of remanufacturing and and what opportunities are there for people who are listening today who who maybe want to get involved? Yeah, I, I think it's bright. Um, I I think in general that remanufacturing you know follows the technology, the leading edge technology that's coming into place now. We don't have to be on that bleeding edge because we're remanufacturing parts that have already been remanufactured. So typically the OEs are doing that research and those improvements in there, but we need to be ready to uh, provide coverage and part support for those new technologies, even as they come out of the gate. So, for example, you know, there's been several cases, and I typically advise companies that if you release a new product or maybe a new engine, in this case, have remanufacturing at the beginning of that. And you think, well, you know, the engine won't hit enough miles to be remanufactured for four or five, six years. Well, you, you may have warranty claims. You may have you know, accidents and fires and things that happen in the road with hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands of units out there. And you want to begin collecting your core, your used parts early on, even at the beginning. And if you don't, if you spend millions into a new engine design and it's in a wreck and you sell them a new engine without getting the core back, all that technology is now in someone else's hands. So why wouldn't you start a remand program as soon as the new parts are uh, are produced, and so I see Reman continuing down that path wherever it leads. Obviously, um, electrification and hydrogen fuel cells; those will be remanufactured. In fact, I've been in talks with companies to do that. It'll it'll look a little different in the case of, of a hydrogen fuel cell. There's there's obviously a different technique, and sometimes they're even reused in different applications as their ability to produce electricity degrades over time. But they're still very useful. So remanufacturing may need to encompass where the technology takes us. But the benefits of reman are, are still going to be there regardless of where the technology goes. I guess my, my biggest um, push and desire for the industry is to continue adherence and in increasing the quality standards of remanufacturing. One thing that I came in, and I, I've been in reman now going on 11 years, didn't have much history with it before. So my exposure to remanufacturing was typically going to the auto parts store and, you know, in the case of the alternator I mentioned earlier, you ask about it, they quote one price and 
well, what else do you have? Like, oh, well, I have a reman unit that's cheaper. Yeah. And that was my only exposure. So, and, and I bet that's shared with a lot of other people that all this industry I've talked about and all this work that goes into reman, it's sold at the end of the day as, well, it's, it's a cheaper reman unit. Like, well, wait a minute. We don't talk about the admission savings. And so I want to make sure, one, the quality of reman is as good or better than no. And there's many cases where it's better because, you know, in the case of an engine or component that's been out in the field for 10 years, comes back, we know that, okay, there's been failures here. So let's make the oil weep holes a little bigger, redesign this. There's things that that can be done. So I want Remand to actually be seen as a premium product that's at a lower price than new. So it's just, you know, the value can be off the charts. But I think we have to continue educating the public. We have to continue increasing the quality people are beginning to see the benefits and they're starting to think twice about, you know, how can I have a, a lighter footprint on this world? How can I save energy? Many of us are probably, you know, recycling a lot more nowadays than we used to. So why wouldn't you do that with your, the products you're buying or the printer cartridges you put in your printer? Why wouldn't you pick one that's been uh, remanufactured? Right. So yeah. I want reman to be seen as a, as a positive process and throughout the, the buying public. So you have a day dedicated to Reman. It's called Reman Day. What is it? When is it? How can we uh, support it? So remember this, it's at remanday.org, right? We got the website. We started the uh, the process four years ago. This will be the fourth year. It's now celebrated on five different continents, 80 some different countries, a lot of different companies. And it's really just to bring awareness. So it's part of that ACE mission that I mentioned earlier as far as I guess it's part of the E, actually, the education side, but it's just to get awareness. And the events are very simple. You know, we've seen a lot of, like in my case, my companies, we typically buy T-shirts, we get pictures. The the first Remand Day, we even, uh, we brought government officials and educators in and toured them the, the shop and showed them everything going on in, in remanufacturing, talked about jobs because we brought a lot of recruiters in. But it's very simple. A lot of companies just have a, have a picnic or they put up a poster. And I forgot, we we have multiple state governors that will sign proclamations for Reman Day. Because you got to remember, in the case of where I'm at in Springfield, there's three or four major remanufacturers here. So there's a lot of jobs with this industry. So this is a day we set aside right. to bring awareness. So okay, remanday.org. So okay, remanday.org. I'm going to bring that up on the screen right there. Remanday.org. And when is it? You'll see our graphic. It's uh, April 20th. April 20th. It's, it's always been in April. This year, it's April 20th. Um, okay. And we'd like for people to post what they've done as well. We provide a site there where they can post pictures and, and banners and the, the things they've done to celebrate Remand Day. Right. Uh, and it's it's grown every year. And, you know, it's, it's just good to, to bring awareness and take a minute to it, it just gives you an avenue to, you know, talk to someone about Remand and try <laughs> to raise the bar a little bit. Okay, so remanday.org, April 20th, 2021. Let's get involved. Go over to the website. Uh, let's support it and uh, make sure that we're spreading the value of remanufacturing and how it's going to help us with sustainability. It's contributing to our economy in a positive way. It's creating jobs. What's not to like about remanufacturing? Exactly. You know, I do have to have one more comment on jobs. And you talked earlier, you know, your entry-level job into into reman and here in Springfield are uh, these major companies, Springfield Remanufacturing, Case New Holland, and John Deere, 
all got together and funded a um, the SRC Remanufacturing Center at our local technical college. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a degree in remanufacturing that you can have here, and it's technical training degree, managing core, you know, managing core, uh, additive manufacturing, the techniques you would do to manage the reman process. So there's people actually going there, getting degrees, and then of course you have three eager competitors hungry to uh, to hire them away at the earliest opportunity. But it, it speaks to the the partnership of of reman, and I would encourage other companies that are out there. In fact, we presented this at our at one of the last conferences that we had, where we actually sat together, and people came up to me afterwards. Well, how did you, you know, convince your local community college to do that? And we said well, we just called them and asked. I mean, they were more than happy to have that conversation because they want their students to have jobs after they leave. So it's just about starting the discussion, starting the process, and and where individual companies or communities take it is is their own, you know, dream and effort, but. Uh, it just makes sense. People want to engage in this uh, this process. You've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Vaughn Henson, the Director of Business Development for CNH Industrial Reman and the Chair of the Remanufacturing Industries Council, also known as RIC. To learn more, go to remancouncil.org. Vaughn, thank you so much for coming on the Heavy Duty Parts Report. Thank you, Jamie. My pleasure, and look forward to engaging with others out there. Hit up our website, uh, give us a message, and more than happy to continue talking to Remand with uh, anyone who wants to. So thanks again for the uh, opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and i just like to remind everyone to focus on cost per mile and... <laughs> Let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling. HDA Truck Pride is the heart of the Independent Parts and Service Channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride and let the heart of the Independent Service Channel take care of your commercial equipment.